you? No, sorry, not now. Like please. A from a crowd of strangers, suddenly one is aware of staring into the face of an old friend. Now look, seriously, could you just... Interesting thing, a tuxedo. There's distinction to friends and anonymity to waiters. Ah, I chose this wine, it's bloody awful. What a couple of lightweights, you couldn't even make it to closing time. Can you whisper? Not really! Two True Freaks presents Hope of All Trades, hosted by Hope Molnax, talking like a man and fangirling like a lady since 2010. Ask me, why are you smiling? Because Sherlock Holmes has made one enormous mistake. The game is something on. Yeah, that, that. Did you miss me? Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of Hope of All Trades. My name is Hope Molinex, I'm your show, your show, your host for this awesome show. And I'm joined today by the hair metal hero, Mr. Chris Tyler. Thank you, thank you. It's me. I'm guesting. I'm, I'm doing the guest thing. Chris has been on uh, Who True Freaks with me, uh, and we've done a few shows together talking about the awesomeness that is Doctor Who, but I have to wonder, because yeah. I've been wondering this for a while, where does the nickname Hair Metal Hero come from? <laughs> it's funny that you should ask that. I'm significantly older than you, Hope. I grew up in the 80s, and I have a love of the spandex and big hair uh, music from the 80s, and uh, I like superheroes, and I, I kind of feel like a superhero myself. So I put those two things together, and since 2001 online, I have been Hair Metal Hero. Oh, that's I like that explanation. I was like hoping you would have like a secret superhero hair metal rock band. Yeah, that would be so rad. I don't know who who do you put in it though. Who would be a front man for a, a superhero heavy metal band? They'd have to have wicked long hair. Who's got long hair? Oh, what show was it? I think it was maybe Dexter's Laboratory or Dexter's Lab. And they had that, like, little side thing, and it was, like, the Avengers, and they had a knockoff of, like, Captain America. Yes. And then, but, like, they had that, like, one guy, his name was, like, Val Hel- Halen. Yes. And, like, that should be yeah. you. Can't pull off the blonde look I tried at once, and no one will ever see pictures. <laughs> so. Oh, I will find them. No, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, even though you've joined me for Doctor Who on Who True Freaks, uh, today we're actually going to be talking uh, Sherlock, BBC Sherlock. I'm excited. Um, So season three just finished airing on PBS. It finished a couple weeks before over in jolly old England. Um, This show is going to have spoilers, so if you haven't seen it yet, then don't listen to the show. Yeah, don't. But, But listen to it afterwards. Yes. Always come back and listen to it afterwards. Yes. So uh, just a few questions to get us started, just so I know your background with Sherlock. If people have listened to my Sherlock episodes before, they know how I got into the fandom. Uh, what made you start watching Sherlock? I had heard everybody raving about it. You know, Martin Freeman. Can't go wrong with Martin Freeman. I was, I was, I was bored. I was unemployed a couple months ago, and the first six episodes were on Netflix. I said I got nothing to do, so I basically sat down in two sittings and watched all of the awesomeness. About as simple as it gets. There's nothing wrong with that. I got it in it through uh, Doctor Who because I found out it was written by uh, Stephen Moffat. So nice. What's your favorite episode? Ooh. Now we have nine. Ooh, I don't know. Or maybe like 
top two or three, if that makes it easier. The the last episode of season two, I'm terrible with names on on episodes. Reichenbach Fall. Reichenbach Fall. Yeah, that was um, that is how you do a cliffhanger for a TV show. For two years, a cliffhanger. Yeah, and I found that out. I was like, how do you people? I wouldn't be able to take it. I'd be going bananas. I'm laughing at all my Once Upon a Time friends because they're like, what do you mean we have a three-month hiatus? So I'm just like, that is nothing, you fucker. <laughs> Shut up, bitch. We had to wait two years. I know. And like now with Doctor Who, we have to wait until August. I don't mind, I don't mind the wait for Doctor Who, though, because I know it's probably going to be pretty good when it rolls around. I'm, I'm excited. I know a lot of people was like, ew, Peter Capaldi, and he didn't... I wasn't a, we didn't get to talk about the uh, Matt Smith leaving episode because neither of us were on that call, were we? Yeah, I uh, I don't yeah, I don't think I could oh, I think that might have been the one where I was very, very ill. <laughs> I got the message after they recorded and I was just like, Oh no Yeah, I was I, I couldn't be too far from a, a bathroom, if you know what I mean. Quick rundown of the episode. Okay, so what did you think of Matt Smith's final episode? Since we didn't get to talk about it. I liked I liked it in theory. I think it probably should have been a two-parter with everything that they wanted to cram in there. That being said, I did like the fact that they showed what would happen to a doctor when he really aged. They did play a little fast and loose with the continuity and, you know, the crack in the in the universe and and some of the other stuff. Again, being that being said, I did like the fact that basically any doubts about what was going to happen with the doctor and his regenerations was taken care of. And they did attempt to tie up as as cleanly as they could, I guess, all, all the little dangling participles. That's a, geez, that's a grammar term. All the dangling plot threads that were out there. So I, I mean, I like the fact that it just set the stage. Like, okay, that that you know that first eight nine years of Doctor Who was over. Let's you know jump into a, a whole new story now, and and let's give it somewhere to go. And I uh, I appreciated that. I'm inserting a small edit here. What I'm about to talk about is Eggleston's regeneration episode, not Eggleston as a standalone doctor, because then I'd go and say that I don't like Tenet. I meant to say I don't like Tenet's regeneration episode. I love Tenet. So just FYI, enjoy. I liked it. It wasn't my like favorite regeneration episode. Um, no. Eggleston is still my favorite of the, the new Who doctors. He's Yeah, it's a toss-up for me between him and Matt Smith. Yeah, because uh, I just totally try to ignore tenants. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, I don't ignore it. I, I my favorite standalone season is still the one with with Donna and Wilf. Um, oh yes, I would totally agree with that. I just didn't like Tennant's regeneration, but by that time I was really over Russell T Davis, really <laughs> over him, and so yeah. But I, I did appreciate, like you said, that they try to tie up as many of his holes as we could. Like I really like going back to the the uh, hotel episode where we got to see what the Doctor feared and it was the crack. I really yeah. enjoyed that. And the fact that it was the Gallifreyans on the other side of the crack. like Which doesn't really make sense when you go back and look at the first yeah. season with, with Amy. But, you know, I, I guess it worked. As Even if it's just a callback, I guess it works. But it probably could have been handled a little more deftly, I think. But I still liked it. I kind of wish that the Doctor had died of old age to start his regeneration instead of getting young again, because I think that would have been a nice nod to William Hartnell, and this being the 50th, I was really hoping they would do that. There was no way they were going to let him go out looking like a geezer, though. <laughs> That's so true. This was the first real episode that I actually liked Clara, too. Like, I really just haven't been able to get into her, but I also, her first season... Too. I haven't been able to get into her, either. Yeah, like, this first season... You missed the joke. Uh... <laughs> 
but you didn't first... invite you, you you should have known what you were getting with me oh i know i know <laughs> I just, her first season wasn't really strong. There wasn't really a lot of memorable episodes. I really like Hyde. That was about it. And uh, the the one with the Cybermen, I really like that episode too. The uh, I, Nightmare and Silver one? Yeah. See, I, I didn't really care for that one. But I just, I couldn't, I just haven't, she didn't really have a big season for me because her entire season felt very Mary Sewish. Like, she was made <laughs> just to save the doctor. That was the reason she was born. And so yeah. I haven't really gotten into her, but that was the first time, like, this is now after all that. So I'm getting to see her by herself as a character, not the girl who saves the doctor. And I felt like I was actually really seeing her for the first time. Yeah, it's going to be interesting where it goes now with the, an older doctor that, you know, and a young girl very much like it was originally. But I'm very, I'm very excited by it. I, I'm glad they went older. I really am. Now, one last thing before we move on to Sherlock. I was really happy about seeing Amy again. I was too, even with the shitty wig. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, the really <laughs> shitty wig. Because if you don't know, uh, people, dear listeners, she's filming Guardians of the Galaxy, and she's completely bald right now. And she's still beautiful. She's still uh, beautiful. God, that woman. Yeah, little, little too tall and lanky for you know my usual jam, but uh, she's a very attractive woman. I was hoping uh, though, and I knew I wasn't, but I just I always liked Rory, and I. I did too. I wanted to see Rory. <laughs> oh. Yeah, he's uh, he was a great character. Um, you know, they got their happy ending, though. You know, it's... They did. The, my last beef is I really wanted at some point, I don't care what, I wanted to see Captain Jack with Matt Smith just because I wanted to see <laughs> And I just wanted Captain Jack to be like, oh my god, what happened to you? You're not, like, hot anymore. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Matt Smith's like, but I'm always hot. I'm hot with bow ties. Bow ties are cool. And Jack's yeah. just like, no, bow ties really are not cool, man. Take it off and then we'll talk. Uh, I think bow ties are cool. but I think bow ties good. are cool, too. All right, so that was awesome. Thank you. Sherlock. Yes. Um, one last quick question. What was your favorite uh, character? Just so I know what I'm getting into. It's hard not to like Mycroft. I mean, he's just... <laughs> He's just as much of a bastard as Sherlock is, but in a completely different way. I'm I'm surprised most people go for John or Sherlock. <laughs> really, I I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I mean, the show is called Sherlock. Obviously, he's an awesome character, and I yeah, Watson's pretty rad too. But it's still like it's it's your it's your ensemble pieces. It's the pieces that come in that that really make the the glue for a show. You know, you can't really have it without the the other characters. Thank you. I've been having that argument with some monsters for a while now. <laughs> Thank you. I, I agree. I really do like Mycroft. I like what the I like the difference between Mycroft and Sherlock is that Mycroft tends to be better at deducing things, but he's just lazy, and that's a canon thing. Like he just doesn't want to get his hands dirty, so well, he, he could be Sherlock, but he's just too lazy to actually do anything. Well, more so than that, he's also he's. He's a politician. That's the other thing. He he has to tread that fine line of not getting too involved. Yeah, but like in the Arthur Conan Doyle canon, they just flat out say that he's lazy. He just <laughs> doesn't like getting his hands dirty. Like he just is like a total posh guy <laughs> who just would rather sit and do everything behind a desk and make other people do his work than actually go out and solve problems like Sherlock. And like that's their difference. Yeah, he's a politician. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. What did you think about the season compared to the past seasons? I definitely think it, it started off much lighter, I think, in terms of tone, but it progresses 
pretty evenly. It's there's a nice flow to it in terms of how it goes from light and and very jokey at the beginning to just absolutely deathly serious by you know the last 10 15 minutes of of the last episode there i was a little taken aback at at how how dark it does get um not that i'm complaining really like the moment they get to appledore like it just hits like the deep dark tone and you're just like oh I, i had no idea how they were gonna get out of that neither did i and i did not see that end coming i mean neither good writing Oh my god, I love Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatiss. They're my heroes. <laughs> I agree. I, I really enjoyed this season. Um, I think there's a definite change in the tone. Because like the first six episodes in season one and two, it was more. It felt more story of the week and the characters grew through the plot and it was more plot driven. Yes. But this time around, it was all character driven and they were the ones that were driving the plot. And it was more about them, and I, I can't remember if it was Moffat or Gatiss, and I could not find this quote worth the life of me. But one of them said that this time around, it was a story about a, about a detective and not a detective story, which is the first real incarnation of Sherlock Holmes in, in history that's really done that, where they focused on the human side of Sherlock and, and not really been that kind of story of the week sort of thing. And that's an issue that you run into with any procedural or cop show or anything like that. Eventually, your your plot of the week kind of needs to fall by the wayside just by the nature of the fact that you have an ongoing story with characters that you care about. So you do need to introduce character aspects that are going to keep you coming back where it's not just who killed this person. I mean, like, like what, Law & Order, that show has been on for however long it's been on and it's because you care about the characters that's why i think that this version of sherlock does so well i mean sherlock holmes has been around for god like 160 years i think it is actually yeah i think this past january was sherlock's 160th birthday if i remember correctly nice and he looks good for his age (laughs) you would say that (laughs) yes he looks really good right now but there's a reason why you can have so many different incarnations. Like right now, we have three running, and that's the Robert Downey Jr. movie, yeah. the Johnny Lee Miller Elementary, and then this version with Benedict Cumberbatch. It's because at the base of it, it's all the core character, and even though they still have differences of, of how they play him, it's still that core character, and you can put him in any setting in any story. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's why I, I really enjoyed seeing the season and actually seeing them more as people than here's the story with the Chinese mob and John Watson's in trouble. Oh, no. Yeah, I, I enjoy it, too. How does the rest of, of fandom feel about that? Because I'm, I'm not really I know nothing really about the Sherlock fandom. About what? About the fact that it, it took such a, a character based turn and there's definitely a, a softening of Sherlock's character, not to the point where he's a marshmallow or anything, but um, there's definite growth. You know, it really depends on what parts of the fandom you're looking at. I I try to stay away from like ship wars because it's all like John Locke versus Sherlocky. Uh, <laughs> I I and a lot of people are like uh, people have actually like tweeted uh, Amanda Abington who p- plays Mary and was telling her that she needs to die because she was getting the way of their John Locke pairing. Like that's just not okay. Oh, okay. And the thing is, she's Martin Freeman's real-life partner, so, like, that's pissing off Martin Freeman. I, yeah, I don't doubt it. Yeah, like, he's I, telling his, like, pretty much wife to die, so. Yeah, I don't know why you'd be complaining about that character. That's, 
if what? you're gonna if you're gonna introduce a new character that's gonna be around, have it be someone that's smart and can handle herself, and someone that'll still be impressed by what Sherlock can do. That's not John or Lestrade. Yeah, so I've I've been trying to stay out of the ship wars, but the people I've been kind of looking more towards. Um, I'm a big fan of the podcast Baker Street Babes. They God, they know their canning so well, and they're one of the few like all Sherlock Holmes podcasts of ball girls. And <laughs> I know Lindsay has actually written a book on Sherlock Holmes. Uh, most of them have read all the canon. They've written several essays. They publish nice. a regular journal about Sherlock Holmes. I think it's once a month, so they know what they're talking about. Yeah, uh, and they were very impressed with this. Uh, they had never really seen this before, and like regardless, you know, comparing to to the Granada series or Psych or House or Elementary, like they had never kind of seen this before. They they really approve of it, and I approve of it too. I actually really, I've always enjoyed characters over plot. You can't have plot without characters, and that's been like that's usually a big criticism in most stuff is when it's plot is driving the characters because I don't believe that should happen that way. Yeah, I mean, not for something that's going to be an ongoing show. Yeah, like if it's something like a movie that's standalone, then of course it's, you know, you're, it's like an hour and a half. Of course the plot's going to be controlling the character, and that makes sense. It's totally okay. But at the end of the day, it's, it's how that person reacts to these situations is what makes them who they are. Yeah. So I, I really enjoy seeing the side of Sherlock and seeing him kind of open up and opening up his world. And I, I even talk about that in my notes. But he really expanded his world this season. And I really enjoyed seeing that side of him. I absolutely did too. Uh, you you couldn't have him remain static. He's not he's not words on a page anymore. He's he's a breathing, living character. So he has to be able to go somewhere. And same thing with John. Like I, I think we've kind of seen John opening up his world too. You know, I got I didn't I felt like John kind of grew more in the past seasons. Because, like, even though he got married and, like, he's going to have a baby and stuff like that, I, I think that because of the dark progression and, and Mary's and finding out that Mary is actually this, like, CIA kind of agent sort of thing, I feel like towards the end he got really closed off in that last episode. And I, I, I felt like that was kind of backpedaling, but I can understand why as well, because someone he really trusts and loved did hurt him. But, like, after that fallout with Mary... It was all Magnuson, so we never got to see John's real development after that, which I kind of miss. So I, I, um, I don't know. I, him throwing the, the flash drive into the fire might might be saying it all. After that, they went to Appledore, and then it kind of time-jumped. And so I, I still just... I felt like I, I wanted to see that time... Because there, there was definitely a time-jump between oh, yeah. Mary being their client and telling them the truth to Christmas. I wanted to see that kind of few months there to see... John, because um, we had seen so much growth in Sherlock, but we didn't really get to see much in John in that last kind of chunk of the season. I will, I will agree with you. Oh, you're, I like you better than Shag. <laughs> Fuck you, Shag. Fuck you, Shag. If you don't contractually... know, Shag's my arch nemesis and will purposely disagree with me to piss me off. Yeah, well, we're contractually obligated to say that, so. Fuck you, Shag. You got it. We love you. <laughs> I've never met the poor guy. I, I I hope if I ever meet him, he's not going to be all mean to me. No, I, to tell you, <laughs> I met Shag one time, and he he's really the nicest guy. Like he plays like a Shag on podcast, but he is like he's incredibly joking. He was just like, "Hope, let's come hang out together. Let's go to panels because we met at Dragon Con." And yeah. he was like, I just want to hang out, and we're going to talk, and I'm like, oh, you're like a teddy bear. And then he gets on his podcast, he's like a teddy bear with fire breathing out of his mouth, and lies, and ass, and shit. 
Listen to Shag's show. It's Tales of Fire and Ice, is it? Uh, Fire and Water. Fire and Water! Yeah! And the uh, the Who's Who podcast is on there. Good stuff. Check it out, people. Let's start with the, the episode. So, we got a nice Christmas present, and I liked your comment that for Christmas you got clothes. <laughs> I did get clothes. I'm a, I'm a grown man now. I get clothes. See, we don't do uh, presents in our family, so I got nothing. Oh. We only do presents for the kids, so... Yeah, basically we do that too, but I needed some clothes because I lost a lot of weight. Oh, yay! Yes, and you did too, I heard. Yay! <laughs> Good for you. Good for you too, Chris. Thank you. So we got the short. It came out on December 24th, 2013, and it was about seven minutes long, and it featured Anderson Lestrade, and Anderson was a surprise for me. And he's talking about how he thinks that Sherlock's not actually dead. And he's been tracking these cases coming back from India. And it's coming towards England. And they were just miraculously solved. And he was just convinced that it's Sherlock and Lestrade didn't believe him. So I was just incredibly happy for this the short that came out. So what were your thoughts on it? It's a, That's, you know, if you want to generate interest in your show... Give give just a little bit. I mean, we knew we we knew as the audience he was coming back, obviously. But when you play with the the conceit of that, where you have a conspiracy theorist as the one saying that he's coming back, and the hard nosed detective saying no, he's dead, it uh, it just it just works. It it works to get you ready for what's gonna come, you know. And obviously, I mean, the the more heartfelt piece of that is is John's reaction to seeing the the video that that Sherlock made for him. Overall, I, I really dug it. I mean, you really could just splice that right onto the beginning of the first episode of the season and, and be ready to go. I was so surprised, for one, with Anderson's character development. Because, I mean, like, last time we saw Anderson, he's throwing Sherlock under the bus yeah. and, like, you know, pretty much calling him out and possibly making Lestrade lose his job. And now we yeah. see him, and he is a total believer in Sherlock with his crazy-ass beard. Yeah. <laughs> Actually... A little, little thing, when they originally filmed the original pilot, and the original pilot's on the first season DVD, it was 16 minutes long, it's pretty much, the, it's the same plot as the first episode, it's just way shorter and it, it moves faster, but the thing is, Anderson had that beard, and they had to have him shave, because when they used test audience, they thought he was the bad guy. Oh, jeez. Yeah, so... So is that how Britain sees things? Because, you know, over here we have Duck Dynasty, and regardless of what your opinion is, I... People seem to like them, so I don't know. I, but I really dug his character development. I was not expecting it, and I that was like the first time I actually really liked his character. Oh, well, like that's the thing when you have a you know a character who's a hero like Sherlock and and Jana, It's the ability to change people's perceptions and change their personalities to something more positive that I mean that's I think that's the best compliment that you can you can pay is you know the fact that they've changed minds about things and we and we see this kind of um later on in the in the first actual episode episode but we see like Sherlock you know kind of give him a nod and even calls him Philip like he can't remember Lestrade's name or the life yeah but he calls Anderson by his first name so to me like that's a sign that he like now respects Anderson a little bit just enough to Make him feel good about himself, but... <laughs> but they're still <laughs> not friends enough because he wasn't at John's wedding. No, no, no. Not at all. Though I have to say, they totally tricked me because the way that Lestrade, when he left and he saw the paper that said the game is on and he smiled, I totally thought Lestrade was in on the fall. And a lot of people had thought that, so I was completely surprised when he had no idea that Sherlock was back. I I never... I 
that never even crossed my mind. I uh, maybe I just you know I don't. I tend not to overthink when I'm watching stuff. I'll do it after the fact, but watching it, I was just like, nah, man, he thought he was dead. I never, never thought he was in on it. It was nice to see John's reaction at the end as well, too. Yeah, he's a, I mean, you can just put a camera on his face and just let him go, and he's going to do, he's going to do magic in front of that camera. Martin is so good at, like, the subtle things. It's like the things that he doesn't say, like the little kind of PTSD ticks were coming back, and... yeah. And it was, and we got to see that he's not living in two two one B anymore. Yeah, which is important. Yeah, that's very important. So yeah, I mean, overall, it was just a fantastic little episode, and I hope we get more. It would be a nice thing to do to to tease every season like that, yeah. But I also argue that every show needs like webisodes and teasers and stuff like that because some shows just don't do it at all, and it's just like, oh my god. <laughs> Pisses me off. <laughs> TV does tend to do that to people nowadays. I know. It's like people who run TV just like don't know actually what fans want and love. That's true, but, you know, what are you going to do about and it? And then they get paid millions of dollars to not know what the fuck we want. <laughs> yeah. I wish I was getting paid millions of dollars to not know what the fuck people want. I know! <laughs> I would love that. That's my dream. So, The Empty Hearse, Episode 1, Season 3. Well, what was some of your favorite parts about it? I liked the fake ruse there with the Jack the Ripper diary. Hmm. I thought that was pretty rad. I mean, obviously, what I'd have to say is the fact that we we really get no clear answer yet as to how Sherlock isn't dead is huge. Just because, you know, it's it's just that they need to answer it eventually. But, you know, you can let us sweat a little bit longer on it. You know, why not? You know, dangle it out there and, and tease us and make us think and... That's what good TV does. The other thing I I would say that I really enjoyed was the fact that Mycroft came and bailed out Sherlock <laughs> at pretty much his most dire moment that we've seen him at for quite a while. But then again, you know, I'm a Mycroft guy, so I really dug that. See, I I have to disagree with you at the fall. Um, no, because that was my very first point. I love the fact that we don't get a real explanation, and we they show us everything from, like, that die-hard bungee-jumping making out with Molly. So, like, the fangirl shipping of, like, Moriarty and Sherlock making out. And then, like, we even get Sherlock's confession to Anderson at the end. Yeah. But we don't even know if that's real because the moment yep. Anderson starts questioning it, Sherlock leaves. We don't even know if it's real. And I'm okay with that because, like, after two years and, like, the fandom doing the physics of the fall and, like, calculating how he would fall into the truck or you know, how he would survive, and, like, pretty much coming up with every single explanation under the sun. There was no way that they would just please everybody. It was just oh, I know. Way. But I, I still think, you know, you do have to say how he did it. I, I just, I, I'm one of those people. I, I, in, a show, in a realistic show, you got to give me something. I, I think that's what they were kind of telling us. Like, you know, everybody had their own theories of how it actually happened, and you can believe what you want to believe. I, I'm okay with that. I'm okay not knowing the truth because, like, you know, I have my own theory and I think that, you know, it, it's what I believe. It, but if it's not, if they had actually done it, but they had done it wrong, I'd be mad. And if they <laughs> hadn't done it or hadn't given us so many possible options, I'd probably still be mad because I'd be like, well, that's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> you have a point. You definitely have a point. But, yeah, you know, I guess, you know, letting us sweat a little bit 
and have our own conclusion. That also works too. I mean, because well, we for two years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we knew he was coming back, so it's not. That's a, that's my thing, though. Is I mean, we knew he was coming back, so you, you, you give us something, give us a breadcrumb, and I guess they did with all the the hairbrained ideas that were discussed in it. Now, I personally think the one that he told Anderson was probably the closest. The one that I'm still a little unsure is about the airbag, because they made sure to show us that truck. I, I think he landed in the truck and not the airbag. That's the only difference. But I think the one that he told Anderson was probably the closest to the truth, but it's still not the full truth. Yeah, well, with his personality, you're probably right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's something that Sherlock's going to always keep to himself. And the fact that John said that he doesn't even care how he did it, he just cares about why, I think that... Unless John cares how, Sherlock's not going to indulge that. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I, that's probably the way it's going to go. I mean, hey, he's back, though. We get to enjoy him some more. The the big part of the episode is definitely the reunion between John and Sherlock. The several times that they <laughs> actually see each other. And the fact that John continues to hit him, which is... <laughs> that was awesome, because like, everybody wanted him to punch him. Because, like, oh, yeah, I wanted to punch him. Because in the original canon, if you don't know, when Sherlock comes back... John faints, and when he wakes up, he was just like, oh, golly, good show, chap, ha, 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 let's go on adventures. And that was no, it. <laughs> no, 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 that would not play. That would not play if they did that. I know. So I was hoping that John would maybe faint, but I definitely wanted him just to knock him out. And we didn't yeah. even get one punch. We got, like, five. <laughs> I know, and he deserved every single one of them. Every single one. But it was so much fun watching Sherlock just trying to tell John that he was alive. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, dressing up like a waiter, you know, doesn't usually help. The fact that John's completely oblivious to him, too. It was trying so hard to propose to Mary. I know, it's amazing. And Sherlock just, it just keeps cutting him off at the legs, I love it. And it was nice to kind of see Benedict play kind of a comedic side, too, because he usually plays, like, such serious roles, but he's so good with comedy, but he rarely gets to show it. Yeah, it's dry. It is so dry. Yeah. Uh, have you listened to Cabin Pressure at all? I have not. I, for one, I suggest it because it's awesome. But in that, it's a, it's a comedy radio show, and Benedict plays a really funny character in that. And he there's at one point his character speaks with a French accent, so the fandom was like, oh my god, he's being Martin right now. <laughs> I will have to take your word for it. I will send you a link because it's absolutely... Actually, I have all four seasons, and season the one final episode is about to start filming come at the end of this month so all right but the reunion was awesome i it was i think it was treated the way i wanted to be treated and we also get the introduction of mary in that scene yes and from out of nowhere comes another character and why not now why do you what do you mean by out of nowhere because i don't she wasn't in season two was she no yeah, see, it's just out of nowhere. Sherlock's been gone for two years. We haven't caught up with John in two years. So for us, it's out of nowhere. This is why I like your point of view, because I, I didn't take that way, but I also am familiar with Mary from the books and, and her canon and everything. So uh, do you think, from a viewer coming into it, just seeing BBC Sherlock, do you think that's a stronger weak point? I liked it because, like I said, you got to have other people for Sherlock to play off of other than John because... I mean, as awesome as their relationship is, if it's just 90 minutes of the two of them every week, it is going to get stale. So you do have to kind of change things up, especially for TV. And I, I mean, I'm familiar enough to know that, that Watson does get married. But in terms of this show, I had no idea it was coming. Would you have maybe like seen, would like to see like 
a little bit of Mary and John's like past two years, or like maybe in the minisode, like how they met. Like, is that something you would have liked to have seen? As a fan of of the Watson character, yeah, it definitely would not hurt to see more of where that came from. Because as it stands, as as somebody that's not super familiar, it, it really is just a straight from out of left field drop on the audience. Someone who who is not familiar with the canon, she walks down the stairs, for, and this is the first time you see her, and he's trying to propose to her. So you have like no early parts of their relationship or even how they met. What do you like most about Mary? The fact that she's up for adventure just as much as those two are, and the fact that she's not she's not a twit. I mean, because obviously, is you know, as Sherlock goes on to say later on in the season, he's not going to go for somebody that's that's a twit. He's going to go for somebody that's got a little bit of little bit of danger behind their eyes because that's the kind of person he is. And uh, I think that works better than her being somebody that's just going to be easily impressed by, you know, the stuff that those two do. And, uh, that's a that's a character that, that definitely works amongst the other two. I think they gave her a good, like, first opening only because, like, right away she accepts Sherlock. Though she says probably the best line of that entire scene of John, like, John's reaction because, for one, John is having a fantastic reaction of Martin Freeman not actually talking. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, she says a great line saying, you don't know what you've done to him. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, for one, that shows her concern and love for John. And yeah. I kind of, not really, but kind of guess in history that she's been helping him with this. Right away, you know, she accepts Sherlock. You know, she tells Sherlock, like, I'll get John to come around. I, I think that's a great side of her character, like, that she's perfectly okay opening their world. You know, I think you mentioned in your no- you know your notes that it's, She's not a character that's coming in to, to tear that up, which is a really, it would be a very easy postmodern twist to throw on there, you know, to have the, the girl coming in and breaking up the, the boy's adventure. And it never goes there, which I was extremely thankful for. Yeah, we get so much of that in modern TV. Yeah, which, ugh, whatever. I, I think she also respects how much of a unit they are and how much they need each other. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you know, if you go back to the first episode, Watson would probably, you know, he'd still be walking with a limp and having nightmares and not really being completely self-actualized the way he is when he's around Sherlock. Though he does have a little bit of a nightmare in the beginning of the third episode, I think it is. Oh, I can't even remember now. I kind of attribute that to him settling into home life and he's being bored and wants to go back to the action. Well, yeah, if you if you, that's all you've had for the past couple of years was action, <laughs> and then it's taken away from you again. You know, it was like when he came out of the war. He had nothing to do, so his mind was going to run and, you know, take hold of him a little bit. Before I go to my next point, what did you think was the weakest part of this episode? Uh, it really wasn't a great mystery. Ah, yeah, that was my point. <laughs> I know. I'm, st- I'm stealing your notes, girl. Yeah, it's totally fine. Because, uh, like, the big mystery was, like, if you didn't live in England, you didn't know it was Guy Fawkes Day. <laughs> I mean, having, you know, read and seen V for, v for Vendetta, Vendetta. I, I'm aware. But, yeah, for most Americans, it's going to be like, who gives a shit? Yeah, like, I, my my familiarity with Guy Fawkes is V for Vendetta. I think that's most Americans, if they even know who he is, yes. And we kind of got a little bit, like, when, like, Hooch threw John in the fire... Which was a very intense scene. Yeah, it was. I yeah, I don't like seeing people near fire. That yeah, it bothers me. Yeah, but that that entire scene was so intense. Like I actually didn't. I was 
I was wondering if they were about to kill John Watson. <laughs> oh, they, they, they wouldn't have the balls to do that. I, I knew they wouldn't, but there was like a half a second. Because like, I was like, okay, Sherlock's going to get there and stop them. Like right before they throw it on there. And then they threw it on there. I was like, Sherlock's going to get there, right? And then like it started like catching on fire more. I was like, Sherlock, where are you? Sherlock. <laughs> and then like, I, damn, Benedict like pulling off fire with his bare hands. Like that was intense. I mean, like the entire, that was a good scene. But yes. Yes, and, and we and we get the first little inclinations that there's something more to Mary than meets the eye. Yeah. <laughs> Though right away when Sherlock introduces her, the word liar comes up in like the very first thing. Yeah, the bomb thing was just a big kind of letdown to me. Uh, it was nice seeing the train guy. Oh, I can't remember who he is. He was like the guy Sherlock went to with Molly, and he liked trains. Oh yes, 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 yes. <laughs> he was hilarious. I thought he was like I thought it was a recurring character there. No, like that was yeah, that was tip the typical typical guy who likes his trains. I guess kind of reminded me of like some of us like fandomy people. We we're just like yeah, we like our one crazy obsession. Don't lump me in with you people. I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, my mom thinks I'm cool. <laughs> my mom thinks I'm so cool, guys. <laughs> I was kind of okay, though, with the train plot, because especially this first big episode, it was really supposed to be all about John and Sherlock's. Absolutely. So I was okay about that, especially when they had that big talk inside the the train when they thought they were going to die. Like, that was an awesome, intense talk that needed to happen, but Sherlock was a complete dick <laughs> for not telling John yeah. the way that he fixed if, it. If it, took, if it took a bomb in a train to get the two of them in a into a dire situation where they'd actually both express how they felt to each other, then I I guess on that level it works. And yeah, Sherlock is a dick. The, it, it does make sense, too, because I don't think at that point that Sherlock would have, or not Sherlock, but John would have talked to Sherlock about any of that. Yeah, there's, if if they weren't about to die, it was good. that would have just been tension for until they talked about it, and it never would have happened. Yeah, it probably would have carried all throughout the season. Pro- it probably would have came out when they were at Appledore, and Sherlock was about to sh- shoot Magnuson. He'd be like, "By the way, John, I turned off that bomb." <laughs> <laughs> Magnuson's just like, "What the hell are you talking about?" Yeah, <laughs> I just well, fell your face and flicked John Watson in the eyeball. Oh, yeah, we'll get to that. I know. God, he was so gross. I, I see in the notes that you don't know uh, much about this one, but the the biggest disappointment of this plot for me was Sebastian Moran. Now, first and foremost, do you know who Moran is? Nope. In the canon, he's Moriarty's right-hand man. Alrighty. Alright. And he's featured only in one book. It's The Tale of the Empty House. It's the first book after Reichenbach Falls, and it's where Sherlock Holmes comes back, and he's trying to destroy Moriarty's web, and Moran is the last piece of the puzzle. And so the fandom, this last two years, when they announced that they were going to be bringing in a more Moran, they just went crazy because uh, they've really like built this whole thing about how Moriarty and Moran are foils to John and Sherlock because you have the two guys who are good with their deductions. And Sebastian Moran is also a sniper. He's a sharpshooter. He was in the army, all just like John. He, they, they really built up this like whole thing about how he was going to be so much more important. And I thought so, too. I was waiting for Moran to come in and like have be this big deal in Season 3. And it was one of my things. And with the spoiler at the end of Episode 3 that we'll get to in a minute, I, I'm hoping he'll still play a part. But 
the fact that it was just happened to be the guy on Parliament who was going to be exploding Parliament, and he just happened to be the bomb guy who st- who never said a single wor- word, and that was Moran. It was a huge disappointment after watching amazing fan theories grow for two years. I can understand why you would be disappointed. <laughs> as a as a newcomer, um, I did not think twice about it. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> Oh my gosh, Chris, I need to like send you like awesome theories. All right. Do it up. I will definitely read them. I love reading ramblings from fans. Oh, oh, I can send them to you. All but right. A big reason for this, though, I found out later, and after listening to the Baker Street Babes, is at the BFI when they were doing the showing, Mark Gatiss was taking questions after the showing, and God, how cool would that be to watch all the three episodes of Sherlock and then just talk to Mark Gatiss about it? It'd be pretty rad. I know. He was just saying that he never thought Moran was significant in the original canon, so that's why they didn't bring him in. But to me, that's just like such a big, huge missed opportunity, especially now knowing that Moriarty is gonna is back to not bring in Moriarty's right hand man. I'm just not gelling with that. Uh, you know, they, he could have a right hand man. He just might have a different name. You never know. They actually uh, changed Magnuson's name. His name is Milverton in the in the original canon. Okay. So, I mean, they might change him. I don't, I don't know what's coming down the pipe yet, but I, I will be watching it. But overall, I thought it was a good opening episode for this season. Yeah, I mean, just to get people jazzed about the fact that they're both back and, you know, the game is on. That's how you do it. Did you have any uh, last-minute things about the empty hearse? I loved Philip tearing down all of his uh, notes at the end <laughs> of the episode. I mean, that. what do you do at that point? You know, if you can't trust what you what you believe and what you've been told, what do you do? You you might break down a little, and I completely understand it. Oh, my God. That was probably that, that was probably every fangirl's reaction. Like, that was for the fangirls who have just been, spent two years, like, deducing shit of everything. <laughs> fell down the walls and just a big sigh of relief at the end. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I, I, it was the only thing is like the new direct. There's a new director to this season. You could really see it in this episode. Like while the plot might have been lighthearted, it was really jolty and shaky. Yeah. I was actually watching the first episode with my friend who's actually prone to seizures, and we mm. had to turn on. We had the lights off to begin with, but we had to turn on the lights because the jumpy, shaky, and the flashing around. Uh, we had it was starting to trigger her, so we had to turn on the lights. Oh, that's yeah. See, TV show shouldn't do that. Come on, people yeah, want to roll so, that. But you could really tell that there is a new directing style in this first episode. But I, I what it where it didn't work as well in the first and third episode because I I still don't like the time jumps in episode three. I think it worked really well in sign of three. Yeah, there's more opportunity there though, where you know somebody's telling stories and you're going to be bouncing around. It makes a little more thematic sense to to do it there than a regular. You know, there's a bomb on a train. Yeah, those side of three could have been really, really confusing. It could have been, yeah, could have been. I, uh, I didn't have trouble following it. I, I, I managed to keep up with it. Yeah, they, they did a good job making sure the story went straight. But and it, it's my personal favorite episode of the season. What did you, what did you think about it? I love the hell out of this one, and I, and I get the feeling from what little I've read online is you know, this might have been the episode that kind of broke the fangirls back a little bit just in terms of how Sherlock is played. Um, oh, oh, which the I can fights. the fights. Oh, there were fights? The shipping fights where people were like, damn it, Moira Mortensen's breaking them up. John's supposed to be marrying Sherlock. 
Um, no, if they were really into the canon, then they'd realize that never happened. Yeah, the problem is, it was written in Victorian England, which it's very okay for, like, two guys to be hanging out and being dudes, and, like, they were very open with, like, they were stiff upper lip about their emotions, but there was nothing wrong with them, like, having each other's back and just being like, good show, sport, I love you, and and it was not gay, it was just British. <laughs> oh, yeah, I thought those, some people would think those two words were interchangeable, not me. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, British fans. Love you, Andy. Love you, Mike. Love you, guys. <laughs> so what were your general thought, thoughts, views, characters, stuff, story stuff, anything like that? On sign of three. In some ways, it's very much a, a romp of an episode. Here's the thing. Here's the, this is the biggest thing I liked about it. it. It delved a tiny bit into John's backstory, you know, about his experience in the, uh, in the military, which, I mean, we did get a, a good amount of that in season one. But uh, I think anytime you can add any color to his story, it's it's definitely gonna work. It, and the other thing that really struck me is uh, he, it does lead you on the you know the track that you think there was one one murder that uh, Sherlock couldn't solve. You know uh, the guy in the shower, and lo and behold, by the time you get to the end of the episode, what do you know? He's managed to bring everything that's happened you know in the last week around to you know something that actually means something for the plot. I just like the writing on that one is just so goddamn good. Like I, all I'm gonna do is just like gloat about it. I'll be a total fangirl about it. Oh my god, it was awesome. There was a wedding, and there was dancing, and pretty girls, and there was stuff. And Sherlock was kind of a jerk. But uh, what else can you say about that one? It was just that was just damn good TV. I had a big shit-eating grin on the on my face by the end of that one. That was damn good TV. Like as shallow as I do get about like the pretty stuff and the pretty boys in the show and stuff like that. Like at the end of the day. We're talking about the writing and the character, and this was a damn good episode. I really enjoyed seeing John's backstory, and I, I, w- I was this was the episode I was most excited for because Sign of Four is my favorite book in the Sherlock Holmes canon. And the, the only thing is, I was sad. Have you ever seen The Great Mouse Detective? Oh, a long time ago. I, cu- I couldn't tell you any plot points from it. Do you remember the dog, Toby? Oh, uh, is it like a sheep dog of some type? Real it was woolly? just like a little dog that Bass oh, like, rode around on. No, but I can't remember. Toby is the only time he's in this in any of the books in the sign of four, so I was really hoping that we would get to see Toby. Well, no Toby. I know. I really enjoyed seeing all the canonods from that book. Like General Sholto, which is John's commanding officer in this. In the original canon, it's Mary's father. Oh, okay. And like the little tiny person like they're chasing ground, he's actually the bad guy of that book. Nice. And so, like, I really enjoyed seeing that, but I was I was most excited about this because I knew this would probably... I wasn't sure how they were going to handle it, too, because originally Sign of Four is when John meets Mary. Okay. And, and this one, it was his wedding, so it was kind of nice to see that kind of... that they, they didn't do this as the meeting of Mary Morton. And that's how I actually originally thought they were going to be setting it up. I thought the empty hearse would be John meeting Mary, and then they would move into Sign of Four and them be dating. <laughs> nope. <laughs> And then in his last vow, I w- a lot of people thought vow was going to be uh, John getting married. And I, I was kind of in that camp, too, which it would cover that time period. So it was nice to see their wedding. <laughs> yeah, why not? And especially when you're going to make a, a mystery that's going on during it. And mm-hmm. an opportunity for Sherlock to actually be very honest about how he feels. And at the same time, still have to be a dick in order to not get anybody killed. Oh, it's, yes. uh, it's a fine line. It's a balancing act that between the writing and the acting that best man speech is a is a probably the standout moment of the season for me 
And it's the complete backbone of this entire episode. Yeah, because, I, I mean, who would ever thought that Sherlock Holmes would be given a best man speech? He is really the best, best man. Yeah, yeah, he is. Like, you know, thinking about my guy friends and, like, the ones of them that are married or, or have been best men, they were shit. They didn't give a fuck about napkins. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah like, he they really... cared about the bachelor party, and that's it. But, like, Sherlock was, like, screening the guests and the ushers, and he was, like, making sure, like, the napkins were folding and, like, making sure, like, who sat near Mary and John. Like, he was, like, totally overcompensating of being the best man. Yeah, I mean, that's more of the bridesmaid's job, but hey, why not? Okay, Sherlock did it. And he also promised the kid grizzly pictures. So. <laughs> that ch- I did not put that in my notes, but that scene with that child is so good. Yeah. He's yeah. showing me pictures. Beheading, such a lovely town. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it made me chuckle. But I, I did enjoy watching that scene. I like that this entire episode because I think, I think it keeps going back, and I didn't put this in my notes either. But the conversation that he had with both Mrs. Hudson and Mycroft about how like things change when you get married. And I think all that overcompensating is Sherlock's fear of losing John. Oh, absolutely. It's definitely him wanting to keep John around. Because, I mean, and it does happen. I mean, you, you'll see it in everyday life. You know, you'll have friends that you've had for forever. And when they decide to have their own family, you hardly ever hear from them again. I mean, I, you know, I, I've got you know one or two of those in my life and it, it happens so i definitely understand where sherlock's coming from in that the other thing that the the best man duties do is it it allows us not at the moment but by the time we get to the third episode to see that sherlock really is in his mind taking the screws to mary because there's a lot of stuff that's dropped during this episode that comes back into play in the third season, and you don't even realize it. I mean, the third episode that you don't even realize until you get there. It's uh, it's more fantastic writing. Like Cam sending her the telegram? Uh, Sherlock mentioning, you know, the guest list is a little light on your side. That's the big one that stood out to me. That, you you know, I was smacking myself in the head, you know, by the time you get to the middle of the, the third episode. It's like, oh, oh, Jesus, how did I not see that coming? Mm-hmm. But then again, I'm kind of stupid, so. You're not stupid, you're a precious baby face. Oh, stop. No. I do want to talk about Mary a little bit. Uh, actually, we kind of already talked about her, about how she understands Sherlock. But I, I think it's because of her opening up John's world and Sherlock coming into it. I think it's what opens him up to other people like Janine. Though I have to wonder how much of him liking Janine is what happens in the third episode. And I yeah I oh from the jump I knew that there was an angle there. I figured that one out. I was like, there's no way. There's no way. It's not even him just having a cover to try to like cover up his feelings about potentially not having John around. I'm like this is he's working something here. Though the only disagreement I have with that is the very end when he's actually looking for her to dance. Uh. I don't know. Sherlock's smart enough to know that there's certain things that you have to do in social situations, and that just comes from his interaction with John and Mrs. Henderson and Lestrade. So, I mean, it's he can be a, a social chameleon if he needs to. He would prefer not to be, but he still knows that there are certain things that you have to do. I don't know. I never, you know, it's a wedding. People dance at weddings. But you don't have to dance at weddings. Oh, well, you know, you should. It's fun. It is fun. I always get confused when people don't dance at weddings. Well, maybe they're old. Their hips don't work. <laughs> now, on the other hand, my hips don't lie. So, <laughs> Can we talk about the stagnite? 
Uh, yeah, we should talk about the stagnite because it's the lamest stagnite ever. <laughs> I just love the point where it's like the dubstep Sherlock theme. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I picked up on that, too. The music was actually really great this season. Yeah, the music's good in every season. You know, it does the job. It's not, it's it's catchy, you know? The main theme sticks in your head, and it propels the story along. So why did you think the stag night was lame? As a girl, you've probably not had a stag night. And having been a best man just a few months ago for the first time, I had to plan a stag night. You know, I planned one that involved no exotic dancing, but it was still um, infinitely more wild than what those two idiots get up to. <laughs> yeah. If you're having a chat ready to safely drink at every place you go to, you're doing something wrong. I just like the fact that Sher- uh, John was just like, nope, let's pour a shot in Sherlock. Yep. Oh, yeah, he deserved it. He really did. But yeah. John- drunk Sherlock is fantastic, because after that we do see them playing the game and then them going on the case. <laughs> yeah, trying to. <laughs> that, that scene was so like Drunko Vision was awesome in that scene. Yes, Drunk Mind Palace was amazing. I love when he deduced the chair as a city thing. <laughs> yes, a lot of, lot of good visual gags during that scene. How do I chair? I forgot what a chair is. <laughs> it's a yeah. I mean, again, it's a nice bit of levity, but you know, considering how dark things are gonna get in the you know another episode, you gotta you know have those character moments, let them breathe a little bit. We have been getting a lot of Mind Palace in this episode. We, we haven't really talked about it much, but it was really strong in this season, especially going into the third episode with yep. Sherlock getting shot and that whole like ten, like five-minute sequence of him trying to live, which I don't think I made that in my notes either. What's wrong with me? But I really enjoyed the courtroom one when he was trying to narrow down the women. That entire sequence was just really awesome and beautiful and how it kept switching back to the present when you realize it's a bunch of computers that he's doing. Yeah, that was a, it's, that was a great visual representation of how his mind works. It's, it's an effect that I, I feel that they should do more because in something that could be considered as dry as a story about deduction, you need something that's going to bring the viewer who is not as intelligent as Sherlock into his brain. And it's a great way to do it. And everyone that they did this season really worked. Now, compared to like earlier seasons, like say, for example, in the Baskerville episode when he went to his mind palace, do you think this is a more better way of doing it? Or do you miss like the white floating words of season one? I kind of like the visual representation more than just him, you know, furrowing his brow and getting just a little bit. But that's me. I mean, I, and I can understand there's probably people out there that are like, oh, man, it's way too overdone. But it's like, you know, what? it's TV. You got to show stuff on TV. You can't just tell. It's a visual medium. Give it to me visually. I'll, I'll, I'll drink it up. I completely agree, especially when Mycroft comes into the Mind Palace because we see, and you're a Mycroft guy, he's always in that podium above Sherlock. Yep. But this is Sherlock's mind, and that's how he sees Mycroft. Yeah, so what does that say about Sherlock? <laughs> you know? And on the reverse side, in, season, in the episode, the third episode, we see that Mycroft sees Sherlock still as a little boy. Yeah, which is also very interesting. What are your takes on that? Mycroft is older, correct? Yes, he's the older. Yeah, well, that obviously Sherlock is always going to be the little brother, and he does still treat him like a little brother, not like an equal. And I'm sure that there's some deep-seated feelings in Sherlock's mind and had about how he feels about Mycroft, who, you know, perhaps he respects more than he'd ever let on. Especially because in this episode, like, we see that 
Mycroft is kind of bullying Sherlock, like when he brings up Redbeard, and then we find yep. out next episode that Redbeard's their dog. Yeah. But Mycroft's always kind of a bully, and I think being the older brother, I I feel like Sherlock always has something to prove to Mycroft. But at the same time, Mycroft is always the one that's pushing Sherlock to do his best and to, like to find a Mayfly man. You know, like don't think of it as you're looking for the the bad guy, you're looking for the target. And like I think. As much as Mycroft does push him, I think Sherlock still respects him, and the format of him still being up in a, as a podium, he's still not quite as good as Mycroft. <laughs> yeah, how can you argue that? That is well thought out. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Best guest ever. Yeah. Wait, you're my guest. Yeah, that's what I mean. Oh, okay. I'm the best guest ever. I thought you were saying that I was the best guest, and I was like, but this is my show. No, no, I would never presume. <laughs> no, 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 no. Welcome no. to Chris of All Trades. That just sounds sexy. <laughs> it's a show for the ladies. <laughs> the ladies I need to tell your girlfriend. Oh, she wants to hear this one. Oh, <laughs> so. Hi, girlfriend. I don't know. What's her name? Maureen. Hi, Maureen. Yeah, which is also the name of my sister. Kind of weird, huh? That is funny. Actually, it's not as weird as I went to go see Magic Mike, like the movie with the strippers that came out like a year ago or something yeah, like that. Yep. I went to go see it with one of my best friends, and afterwards I was just like, yeah, it was so great. The men were hot, and she looks right at me and goes, I didn't want to tell you this before, but Channing, Channing Tatum looks like my brother. So you're going to be all of her brother. Well, no. That means the entire time she was watching Channing Tatum as a stripper. Ooh. See her brother. Ooh. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. Not weird at all. <laughs> no, not at all. So uh, my last point I wanted to bring up, and I and I saw that you wanted me to tell you more about this. Please do. It's revealed, because I always took the sign of three before I actually watched the epi- actual episode. It was going to be about Mary, Sherlock, and John. Which As we see, it's actually about Mary, John, and a baby. A baby. Who did? I didn't see that coming either. I, I didn't see it either. Do you want to know why I didn't see it coming? Because it's not in the canon? Exactly. Canonically, John has no children. And actually, in the books, and spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't read the books, Mary dies in the books. Okay. So, and then John has no children. Like, she actually is in, like, only about four or five stories. And when she dies, John's just like... There's like a time jump, and he's living with Sherlock again, so you never really get to see his reaction to it. So if Mary does die, I can't wait to watch Martin Freeman be awesome. Uh, <laughs> but at the same vicious. time, now I now I like Mary so much, so I don't want her to die. <laughs> uh, it's you know they might just be setting her up just to knock her down. You know I wouldn't be surprised that I would see them doing because then it's just what you know the strain that's going to put on Watson. But I, so I was actually wondering if she was going to be dying in his last foul, but that's why I was so surprised by the baby reveal because I was like, "But Mary dies and John has no children. What is this? Like he becomes a beekeeper in with Sherlock in retirement. Like that's the end of his life." Well, you know they can still get there, but I'm sure they're going to you know do several more stories before that happens. Then again, yeah, it probably that's... wouldn't probably wouldn't be beekeeping nowadays. Though. What the hell would it be? Actually, you see in his last vow when Janine's talking about how she got a new house, she wants to get rid of the bees. Sherlock's face is just like, what do you mean you want to get rid of the bees? Oh, oh, all right. See, this is stuff I don't don't pick up on. Yeah, and if you watch Elementary, the Sherlock in that actually keeps a beehive, like a little bee farm on top of their roof that him and Watson uh, take care of together. Is that worth checking out? 
I like Elementary. I'm very much in the firm kind of camp where I do not compare it to any other version of Sherlock. But it's the exact same. Like, I don't compare House to, Sher- House to Sherlock or Psych to Sherlock because they're all takes on Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. I like it. It's a, it is more of Mystery of the Week. And okay. it, it has a slow start. I will say that. Like, the first, like, five or six episodes, they're good. But it's it's very slow to really get into it. But when you hit the Sebastian Moran episode and, like, the downward like plow toward the end game with Moriarty of that first season it's awesome like it's a really really good story arc and I I really enjoy how they do Mrs. Hudson in it they bring in some original characters um like a guy named Alfredo he's a really great character because he has no problem telling Sherlock to get his head out of his ass all right the only thing that I it took me a while to warm up to Lucy Lewis Watson only because I'm so used to John being a military guy, and she she just used to be a surgeon. So she has the doctor side, but she doesn't have the military side. And I've always liked That's that military side. But I, I couldn't give a flying fuck if Watson's a girl. I, that never bothered me. And one of the strongest points of the show is the writers said from the get-go that there will be no romance between Watson and Sherlock. Which I am so happy for because, you know, it's actually refreshing to have a, two people of the opposite sex be friends on TV. I, do, I would agree with you. Yeah, it's like you have a guy and a girl and they're the lead characters and at some point they're going to fall in love. And so it's so refreshing that, like, she will flat out look at Sherlock and be like, ew, no, oh, oh, no. <laughs> nice. It reminds me of Donna and the Doctor. Like, that's very much how their relationship is. And she has no problem also as well telling him to get his head out of his ass. Okay, now you've kind of sold me on on checking this one out. But just keep in mind, it is slow. And it is set up like the, you know, the 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 bad guy of the week kind of thing. Okay. Um, so it doesn't... Now, I haven't watched any of season two. I'm behind. Like, I'm recording all of season two, and I'm just going to sit down and watch it all the way through. But I've been so busy just with work and the holidays and everything, I just haven't really touched it. And getting used to the New York setting is a little bit of time. But they get a tortoise. They get what now? They get a tortoise. A tortoise? Yeah, and they name him Clyde. <laughs> Okay. And Sherlock will use him as, like, paperweights or, like, as when he's trying... At one point, he builds a city, and he's trying to fill, figure out, like, where this, like, ambulance came from, and Clyde's the ambulance slowly crawling through the city. I am a sucker for turtles, so... He's so cute. I love Clyde. I, I really like it. Do I like it as much as BBC Sherlock? No, uh, because I've just never been a big crime mystery of the week kind of person. I've never really gotcha. gotten into crime shows. I'm watching it more because it's Sherlock Holmes, not <laughs> because it's a crime show. Right. So it's not quite my cup of tea. But if you like crime shows, like, for example, my, my sister loves crime shows, but she also loves BBC Sherlock, so she really enjoys elementary. The way I kind of see it is if... The way Johnny Lee Miller does his Sherlock is Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock in this episode one of this one is just starting his career. He's not really big. He hasn't really made a name for himself. We see that. It's John's blog that makes him build his career. Johnny Lee Miller Sherlock, he's been a detective for many years. He's already had his drug addiction. He's been clean for a while and he's moved and he's had like a downward spiral in his career. And I kind of see it. it's Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock grows up into being Johnny Lee Miller Sherlock. Interesting. That's kind of the progression I see, and like I could see Benedict Sherlock, Cumberbatch Sherlock become Johnny Lee Miller's Sherlock. All right. But it's actually it's interesting because they both played Frankenstein in the same play too. Huh. Yeah, Nick Deere did a version of Frankenstein, and it's really I have both versions bootleg. Shh. <laughs> I can see you. Shh. 
but what it is is that they would reverse roles. So one of them would play the monster, and one of them would play Victor Frankenstein. And every night, other night, they would swap roles. That's awesome. It's so awesome because, like, even though the dialogue is exactly the same, they both took on the characters completely differently. And the original casting is with Sherlock, with Benedict as the monster and Johnny Lee Miller as Victor. That's actually where they're mostly strong because when Benedict plays Victor, he's very much like Sherlock. But I do like Johnny Lee Miller's monster a lot too. And how they pr- approach the character is completely different. Benedict approached the monster after stunning stroke victims and like how they learned how to walk again and stuff. Oh. While Johnny Lee Miller approached it watching his son learn how to walk and learn how to talk. And so their monsters are completely different. And actually Johnny Lee Miller's at the end of his play talks better than uh, Benedict's monster. Very nice. And it's really interesting watching there. I, they're, they're both fantastic. Victor's version of Frankenstein is so good. And sometimes they'll play it in, you know, like those fathom events, like in movie theaters. Yeah. Sometimes they'll uh, play it. And it, it premiered last year. And I think they're doing another run this year from what I heard. But I'm not sure because it was just so popular. And I really want to see it. But they're also doing, um, I think it's called Cornelius. It actually has Mark Gatiss, who plays Mycroft. And then Tom Hiddleston. And that's premiering sometime this year in the States. Oh, so you just creamed yourself. I did. Oh, my God. I've already seen, like, stills, because it just premiered in the UK. And not only did they release a trailer of, like, Tom training for the role, so it's him, like, doing push-ups and, like, a woman brushing makeup on him and, like, him shirtless and, like, running around and sweating and, like, just being adorable self. They also, like, people who have seen it have been releasing gifts of, like, him completely shirtless and like training and running and like making out with a guy in the play and I'm the whole time I was just like damn I'm so watching this for production quality mm. sure and <laughs> yeah. ladies and gentlemen there you go that is the Hope Molinax moment of the show my shallow moment <laughs> actually I've been really good on Tom lately I've been freaking out more over Sebastian Stan since they released the new Winter yeah. Soldier trailer, so. That movie looks so awesome. I'm so fucking excited for that movie. <laughs> yeah, me too. April will not come soon enough. No, it's gonna be here. It's gonna be here, girl. Just, oh, just hold on. Oh my god, I cannot wait for April. Ugh, ugh, ugh. Okay, I see that you have a note. Well, what is it that you want to bring up about Sign of Three to bring us back? I'll just read off my notes. I, I bring up the fact that Sherlock on a short-run TV show needs to be softened a little bit in order to have a character act that will play out and resonate. And I don't feel like it's a a besmirching of any previous version of the character as a whole. If you're only going to get him a couple times a year, you got to have him have some some little bit of growth. Otherwise, it would be very stale, very fast. Do you think that this kind of Sherlock would work in a movie setting? Not not with any sort of growth, though. Not with any character act. He would literally be a cipher, like most of the previous versions, where he just comes in and he knows all, he sees all, he gets invested in the mystery, he solves it, and that's the end. They're pretty much the Robert Downey Jr. versions. Yeah, I mean, the the Robert Downey Jr. version is, you know, has a little more pizzazz than that, but it's still just, I am Sherlock, I am going to be awesome, I'm out. Though I do like you, I, I... Jude. What is his name? Jude Law. Jude Law. I was about to say Jude Watson. Jude Watson. <laughs> well, I like Jude Law's Watson a lot. Yeah, I probably like that version of Watson more than I like the Downey Jr. version of Holmes. I I totally agree. And I have to say, I like. Have I don't know. Have you seen the second one? Fortunately, yeah. 
I, I see. I like the second one, and I really enjoyed their take on Sebastian Moran and Moriarty. That's the first time we've actually seen them talk a lot. Most versions will be like, because when when you tackle Moran and Mor- Mor- Moriarty, a lot of versions are just like, "Hey, I just met you, and this is crazy, but you killed my boss. That you've never seen me have communication, so I'll kill you, maybe." Like, <laughs> so I actually enjoyed seeing him functioning as Moriarty's right hand man. Well, maybe, uh, maybe. Moffat and Gaddis had a point about him not being really that important to the canon, then. Me, I know. I really like him. Anyway. <laughs> I wanted him to be an American cowboy and just be all like, yippee motherfuckers! And John Watson just being like, what is wrong with you? Like, what? Why are you no? <laughs> and he has, like, a little cowboy hat, and he's just, like, the complete opposite of John, just talkative, and, and John's just like, I don't understand why there's a cowboy talking to me. Oh, God, he's shooting at me! <laughs> That might have made the movie more interesting for me. That was that's the Moriarty. I, that's the Moran I wanted in uh, BBC Sherlock. Well, you might still get him. Who knows? Who knows? All right. So the very last one, his last vow. It's time to get Doc. You know, this is the episode I just haven't been able to watch a second time. I haven't brought myself to it. Is there a reason why? Well, for one, Charles Augustus and Madden said just really creeps me out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I had a lot of trouble watching it the first time around. I can understand why. A lot of it was him, and a lot of it is just, I don't want to say it was the writing, but the story's a little jumpy and... It's it's kind of a hot mess. I wouldn't quite go into hot mess territory, but it's, it's while the pl- mystery plot of The Empty Hearse was the weakest plot-wise... Character-wise, this one's the hardest for me to watch because, for one, I just don't like seeing my babies in pain. Oh, jeez. You are such a girl. I am. I'm <laughs> such a girl. But, like, it's just, to me, it's difficult watching Sherlock get shot and then the Mind Palace sequence. While it's awesome to watch the Mind Palace sequence and him, finding his, him fighting his way back to life, at the same time, it's just... There's a lot of huge jumps time-wise, and then we see, like, John's in pain. But I like a lot of the themes that ran in this one, too. But really, it's just really hard to watch Charles Guest and Magnuson. With good reason, because he was awesome in a completely gross way. Yeah, you wouldn't want to be associated with him in any way. And out of the canon, this was the one. I have not read his story yet, the Milverton story at all. So I really went into this knowing absolutely nothing about him. All right, so we're on the same page on this one, then. Yeah, I got a little bit of a canon lesson listening to the Baker Street Babes and their take on this. So, like, I found out a lot of things. Like, his glasses are canon. And him having tiny glasses and him being gross and, like, him be like making Sherlock's skin crawl. Like, that. that's all canon. But at the same time, it wasn't one that I read. I still feel it's kind of a hot mess, but it's a hot mess with some very interesting points in it. You go first, since we're on the same page. I've been talking a lot. I'm going to eat cheeses. Your turn. Oh, the regular? Which ones are they? They're the regular ones. They're the best ones. Oh, yeah, I don't eat those anymore. But they are tasty. Yeah, I mean, as a villain, as a a string puller, as a puppeteer, and just an evil force, I mean, that's what you want. You know, you need a guy like Magnuson is in the background. He's he's the baddie. He's been the baddie the whole season, though we didn't really realize it yet as, as viewers. Because we it's... kind of saw him, we saw him at the end of episode one. Yeah. And there's a nod to him in episode two as Cam, but if you didn't know it was Charles Augustus Madison, you could have completely overlooked the whole Cam thing. Yeah. I mean, the the stuff that I, I did really gravitate towards in this was the swerve with Mary's character and how that kind of comes tumbling down. Because I didn't, because again, I, I don't know if that's part of canon either. I don't know. Is she a... Is that she is a, not. Yes. She, the, the canon of Mary is that... 
in sign of four she hires them to find out what happened to her father who was the shoulder character and she becomes an orphan because her father died shortly before she called them but he had this like mysterious treasure that got taken from her and she was wondering what it was and john falls in love with mary but he doesn't want to do anything because he's like business i'm here on work i can't fall in love me and so after they solve the mystery, when they get the chest back, it turns out there's no treasure inside to begin with. And John's like, well, you're the best treasure ever, Mary. And she's like, teehee, and they get engaged. Um, oh, God. I'm glad that wasn't what this was. He's married to Mary. She doesn't really see. They're like, she'll send them on kind of cases. Like, yes, John, you go on cases. You go. And which is why I kind of like that in Sign of Three when she sent Sherlock and John on a case and she like gave them both a thumbs up. I was like, yeah, I can references. <laughs> and that's just an awesome scene anyway. But she usually just sits in the background and is just like, yes, dear, go solve crimes. And then she ends up getting killed. And John is just, you don't see John's reaction really to her getting killed. He's just back with Sherlock like a few months later. So like she's a really minor character. Like she's kind of in the background, like the... The Robert Downey Jr. version and this version has more characterization of Mary than Mary isn't actually in the original canon. But the thing is, when you read Arthur Conan Doyle's work, he really, after all, hated writing Sherlock Holmes. He was just doing it because people actually legit sent letter bombs to his mailbox to demand him (laughs) to write Sherlock Holmes. Like, they loved him. I wish I was that popular. Yeah, and, like, when he actually killed Sherlock, he planned to kill him off permanently. Like, he never was going to bring him back. Yeah, I knew about that, yeah. He's really bad at continuing canon and characterization, and he jumps around so much. And, like, he's something will happen in one book, and something happened will, will happen in another book, which will completely contradict that. So he's really bad at carrying canon throughout the, the books straight. All right. so That's the summary of Mary's character. Okay. Well, if that's the case, then I am glad that there was more to her than just, oh, hi, I'm Mary. I'm John's wife. Because I didn't see any swerve with her coming at all. You know, the fact that they kind of led up to that with, you know, stuff dropped during the, the first two episodes, I really dug. The other thing about this one, this, just uh, Magnus and, and what his mind palace actually turns out to be and, and the power that he actually holds and the fact that he's got an eidetic memory and everything that he's ever looked at, he remembers, is such a chilling thing to think about when. You know, it's somebody that's going to use stuff that has no hard copy. You know, it's just stuff that he can pull out of his mind to, to place you in his power. As ugh, I just, I don't even like thinking about it because I'm not that kind of person. Like, I couldn't I couldn't do that to somebody else, even if I had the ability to, to remember everything. I just, ugh, it really just bothered me. I also really like the fact that he worked for a newspaper. Well, of course. I mean, you know. Because that, like, is our press and our media. Yeah, yeah, it is. I just wasn't expecting... I guess because I got so used to it to like the Moriarty villain. So like like while Moriarty was like cruel, he was there's something still just very Play, charismatic about him. What? Yeah, he's he's play Moriarty is playful. And he's like just really charismatic, and you just can't help but to like him. And so yeah. like when I was first watching Madness, in I was just like, okay, he's in an inquiry. He's he's acting like a very proper guy and stuff like that. And then he like licks the woman's face, and I Ugh. that was my first moment where I went, oh oh my god. <laughs> But he was only licking it to find out what her perfume was. That was the, you can smell it. Probably tastes better than it smells. Oh, I don't know. It's Mary's perfume. Oh, that was a really filthy thing I just said. <laughs> <laughs> he just, he makes my skin crawl, but yeah. he's supposed to, you know? Like, he's, like, pissing in their fireplace. Like, who does that? I know. I saw that. I was like, really? Dude, come on. 
But I kind of like that because it just shows how what power they ha- he has over them. He can do whatever he wants and not give a fuck. Yeah. Oh, and then he's eating fries. Oh, it's like, don't take a man's fries. I, and I love it because he knows he can do it. He knows he can get away with it. And it's, I, I think that part of what's so uncomfortable is Sherlock is almost always in control. Yeah. And, and so it's so weird to not see Sherlock in control, which in turn makes John be not in control. Because John has, like, really, he he knows what's going on, but he know, doesn't know how to get out of it. I mean, I get, that does, you know, it does all kind of build up to that last five minutes of the episode, though. You know, it's just kind of that slow burn of something bad is going to happen because there's no way out. I, I know. And that that's why I was so uncomfortable watching, like, the last 10, 15 minutes when you have, when they get to Appledore because I just, that entire time, I just had no idea what was going to happen. And I was just trying to think ahead. And I was like, well, they're still going to go into the basement. They're going to see all these files. And then when it's revealed that it's a mind palace, and I was just yep. like, oh, my God. And Sherlock's face is just like, I can't believe I just destroyed John. Yeah. It's, yeah. Ugh. I didn't see it coming. That's all I, I can say about this one. I know. Like, like... I, I wish I could talk more, and I wish I knew more about this canon. But, I mean, it was just... It's so hard watching this episode for me because, like I said, I for one, I don't like seeing my babies in trouble. But, I mean... <laughs> I just, I have difficulty watching Magnuson, and I was not expecting to see Sherlock murder him. Yeah, I just, I mean, is that is that completely out of precedent for the character? Because I don't, like I said, I don't know enough. See, I don't know enough about that either. I actually don't know how the Magnuson, the Milverton story ends. That's one I, we should Google this. <laughs> if we were smart, we would have. Let's actually, why I'm pulling this up, talk about this in the form of, is this something that is within BBC Sherlock's character? You know, I'm sure it is. I just, it's one of those things where perhaps if Magnuson was built up slightly more, where there'd, you know, there'd be more justification for it. I mean, and, and Sherlock does say that, you know, he can't stand them and, and he can't stand what he what he stands for i mean i guess i mean it's not i mean sherlock's still basically a private citizen if he wants to commit murder he's gonna do it you know and let's be honest he does have some sociopathic tendencies to him you know I, if he's gonna kill somebody i mean that's that's the guy to have him kill kind of see that in the Reichenbach falls episode when he tells moriarty like you know i might fight for the side of the angels but i'm definitely not one yeah so I do think it's in him. I try to look at it like it's self-defense because he was defending yeah. John and that, you know, it was the only way to get John out of it. Because I don't think Sherlock gives a flying fuck what happens to him. No. Um, but he cares about John. Like, yeah. that's, we see that. It, it takes Moriarty saying John Watson is in danger for him to crawl his way back out of death. I'm looking at this and Bla- Lady Blackwell, who was Lady O at the beginning of this, at the end of the Milverton story, she's the one who kills Milverton. So it was not Watts. It was not Sherlock. It was her. Okay. Which might have made slightly more thematic sense, but. But in a way, we kind of get that though, because we see that Mary almost kills Magnuson. So she could be the woman. Yeah. So they, yeah. still bring, they bring that canon a little bit. I have difficulty watching Sherlock do that because at the same time after that, I'm like, oh my god, well, Sherlock's a murderer and everyone's okay with it. <laughs> I don't know if they were all okay with, with it. I, I'm sure, I mean, I'm, I don't think John was thrilled that his best friend and, you know, his mentor and all that is killing somebody and it, just in legitimate cold blood. Well, yeah, yeah. Like we see that, that scene where they're all, like, the helicopter and everything, but, like, in the scene after, it's I, it's one of those things I think they're going to really sweep under the rug, and I can't even imagine 
how many strings that Mycroft had to pull just to get Sherlock out of that. That brings it back to, you know, the other stuff that happens in this episode where they're having, you know, Christmas dinner at the Holmes's house. And it's clear that as much as those two snipe at each other, they definitely care about each other. And it it took really this long to actually show it on screen. I do really like that scene. You know, that's their parents are Benedict Cumberbatch's real parents. I did not know that. And his his mother played a Doctor Who companion in Old Who. I did not know that. Mm Mm-hmm. You're so cool. I am. Benedict even said at the BFI when he was watching it for the first time, he teared up because he was so proud of his mommy and daddy. (laughs) That's awesome. And uh, the little young Sherlock, the little boy Sherlock, is Stephen Moffat's son. (laughs) Hey, it's a family affair. Yeah, going back, I... We really do see a lot of Mycroft and how they see each other in this one, too, and their real feelings. But I just, I kind of was wondering how Mycroft was going to play in the fact, because he tells Sherlock right out, like, I'm not going to let you touch Magnuson because he is the enemy of my enemies. And so. Yeah. You know, and again, he's, you know, he still has to play that politician role. You mm-hmm. know, it makes sense for him to say that because it's, you know, it was probably true. And we know that Mycroft is capable of that because we see, and oh, what episode was it? Was it. It was scandal that he was going to blow up a passenger airplane. Yeah, so, oh yeah, yeah, that so was. So I know that's capable of Mycroft. Oh yeah, Mycroft is Mycroft is Mycroft. He's going to do what's you know best for the country. I have difficulty seeing Sherlock, and then I think it's because we're as the audience we're really close to Sherlock, and we're not used to seeing him pretty much play a Mycroft role. Like he really stepped into the Mycroft role, and then we see yeah. him not really know how to handle it when he's just staring at what he just did. Mycroft sees him as a kid. Like, I don't think Sherlock was emotionally prepared to do Mycroft's job. That's a really good point. I didn't even think about that. I just cared about myself. <laughs> I didn't think about it beforehand either. That's, wow. That's definitely something. To, wow, that's a good point. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to talk about Mary a little bit. I'm going to talk about Mary in a completely different way. They made in this episode a lot of references to the story the adventures of the empty house and which is as i mentioned earlier the sebastian moran story i have to wonder how much they were making mary into that moran character and a lot of people did wonder for if that uh, for a while there whether or not mary would be a part of moriarty's web and i I actually really enjoy seeing the theories about molly being evil and actually being part of moriarty's web which i totally don't agree with but they're really cool oh she's a doll leave molly alone but she dated Jim. Yeah, who cares? Have, have you read any of the actual blogs for the show? Nope. So they have an official John Watson blog, which is actually, somebody actually writes from John's point of view, and there's like actually comments from the characters like Sherlock and Mrs. Hudson, and he's talking about all their cases, and it's really awesome, and it's all canon, but Molly has her own blog too. And she talks about dating Jim and the fact that Jim Moriarty sat and watched Glee with her and played with her cats. Well, of course, because he was going to do anything to get closer to Sherlock. I know, but just the thought of him just, like, watching Glee with her. Glee! It's fucking Glee. Oh. <laughs> with cats, like, I love that idea. Yeah, he's playful. He's going to do what he's going to do. I could actually see him really enjoying it. <laughs> uh, yeah, but. not for me, but hey, good for Moriarty. But uh, anyway, back to the Mary character. I was really, I, I they had made a lot of references, like because Marianne was a sharpshooter, Mary's a sharp sharp short shooter. In the in the story, there's a wax dummy in the like in the dark, and Marianne yep. thinks it's Sherlock and shoots it. But in this, they kind of switched it, and John was the role of the wax dummy in the dark. I thank God Mary didn't shoot him by accident. <laughs> Pride. Right, yeah. 
the whole time I was just like, please don't let Mary accidentally shoot Jolly, because that'd be terrible. It would be terrible. But they gave a lot of references, so I just thought it was interesting that of all people, they gave Mary the Moran role in all of this, even though they already made a Moran character. Yeah, I mean, you know, they gotta, you got to do something to keep it fresh. You know, you can't just transcribe everything, because, you know, then there's no point in watching the show. Exactly. Though, if I don't, if season four, if there's not a moment where John and Mary go busting into something guns blazing, I'm going to be really pissed off. I get the feeling that'll probably happen, considering they're both military. I know. Okay, I, I have mixed feelings on the scene where he didn't want to know Mary's name. And that was more just because of the fact that I, I wanted to tell him about her past and him know that. But at the exact same time, I love the take on it where John just didn't care. He cared about their t- time together, yep. their relationship, and their future. And the fact that he said, you know, I'm still going to be, I'm still really pissed off at you. She's like, I know, I know. And it's yeah. going to come out. Oh, I know. Like, that was such a realistic moment. That so, was definitely real. Yeah. like, And so, like, even though they're, like, crazy military couple, like, they are still really real in their relationship. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how you'd go through something like that and not still have some sort of... Not deep-seated, but some resentment, some anger. I mean, there's no way that you couldn't just because, you know, John did get kind of played for a fool in some respects. And he might be more angry at himself that he didn't see it than at her, but... And I think he's kind of mad that Sherlock didn't tell him sooner that there was something up. Because I I think Sherlock has been noticing for a while there. Like, there's a reason why he chose Janine to, like, get close to to Magnuson. And I, I think that he's been kind of thinking that. And there's a part where... He was just talking, he's like, you know, your wife and me, your best friend, hello. Like, I think in that entire scene, Sherlock deserved just as much of the blame as well. Yeah, I think you're right. Let's talk about John in this episode, because he, I, God, Martin Freeman was so good in this episode. Yeah, he definitely goes through the ringer in this one. Well, what were your thoughts on John? I mean, of, of all the characters on the show, outside of Lestrade, he is you know, the most stable main character, really, even though, even with the the PTSD and stuff, he's still the most normalized character, I would say. But this one kind of just chips away at, at all that, and it's putting in, him into a place where, where he really can't do anything. He can't defend himself. I mean, whatever anger he feels towards Mary, it's he's not going to act out on it, really. I mean, he's not going to hurt her. However angry he is at Sherlock, he's not going to act out on him either, just, you know, other than telling him that, you know, you kind of did me wrong a little bit. And he's also not going to take his anger out on uh, Magnuson either, because what's he going to do? You know, he's he's not a soldier anymore. He's a private citizen now. It's a guy that's used to being able to take action for himself and having all of that stripped away to the point where he's just being blown by the breeze and, the, and the, there's nothing for him to grab hold of and, and steady his life down with. It's uh, it's not an enviable place. You know, that's a really... I never thought of it that way. I mean, I just... He is... You're right. So that's why I, a lot of people were saying that, like, John having that outburst and, like, throwing the chair and stuff like that was, like, really out of his character. I, I don't think so, especially with the take no. that he took on it. Like, I think that's very much true in his character because John very rarely explodes and, like, lashes out. Because I think the last time we saw that was in Baskerville when he got out of the cage and was freaking out. Yeah. He does not explode that often. So that that's a really good point of of that kind of take on it. Thank you. 
You're welcome. <laughs> this wasn't my favorite John episode. Well, I think, well, it's hard. I like John in this episode, but like I mentioned earlier, I don't like how he kind of closes down in this episode. But you raised a very valid point of why he closed down, because he really has no other way of expressing himself, and he just has to sort of follow along and follow Sherlock to Appledore and kind of accept Mary for who he is, because like that, those are the only stable parts of his life now. And Martin Freeman's just so good. Yeah, he's pretty awesome. I did not put this in my notes, but probably one of the badass moments is when he goes into the craft den and springs the guy's arm. Yeah. That moment was so good. And I love how he, like, jumps on the fact to go to a craft den because he's so bored with, like, home life. Yeah, and Mary's right there with him. <laughs> Mary's just like, I'm pregnant! You're, do you know why she had to drive? No. Martin Freeman doesn't have a driver's license in real life. Oh, jeez. That's why in the Baskerville episode, Sherlock is driving, because Martin Freeman, like, literally cannot drive. Oh, God. I would <laughs> never admit that to anybody. Yeah, so he's not allowed to drive in, like, any shows or anything. I think they, there's, like, a few, like, exceptions and stuff like that, but he doesn't have a driver's license. I, that's just funny to know that. We have to talk about the big ending. The big ending. Oh, the, the tease. The big ending. <laughs> oh, the tease. What can we say about the tease? So if you, for some reason, did not see the end of this... Actually, before we go into the big ending, because this is kind of talking theories for season four now, did you have anything else about this episode? No, it was not my favorite episode of the season. It was still watchable. I don't think I'll be revisiting that one as much as some of the other episodes, though. Yeah, to me, it's still a really good episode, but it's good in a way of, like, eating rich food, like, you can't eat it all the time. And, like, in no way was it bad. No, it wasn't bad. Yeah, I mean, that's like saying, like, I like chocolate less than, like, fudge. I mean, to me, it's just really rich, and it's kind of kind of stylized, and I sort of have to be in the mood to watch this episode. That's right. All right, so, last point about this, though. It's a really big tease, is where it's all ending, and Sherlock and John are being separated again, and Lestrade is watching a game, and on comes the TV. He looks up at it, and then Molly starts screaming at her TV, and so does Mrs. Hudson, and I can't even imagine what Molly was feeling, because that's her ex-boyfriend. We yeah. see Moriarty is back! I mean, yeah, I mean, of course Moriarty is going to be back. Do you think he was going to be killed off for good? Of course not. He's he's the arch nemesis. They totally threw me for a loop because the writers flat out said this entire time, very vehemently, if I may add, that Moriarty is dead. He is not coming back. And when there was like little set pictures showing up of Andrew Scott, they said, you know, we, we flat out told Andrew, your character's not coming back. You know, we're just, it's cheaper to do, to do a few scenes with you, to record, like, the fall scenes and stuff like that with you, than using a dummy. And Andrew Scott flat out said in an interview, well, you really can't come back from blowing a hole in your head. And the thing is, it was all red herrings! They knew from the beginning! Of course! I had no, I mean, it's, I had no doubt they were gonna bring him back. I mean, you get, you know, he's, he's the villain. Like, uh, just, uh. Well, I just I, I I wasn't sure because they were making Milverton being the big bad, so I thought they were just going to be carrying Milverton until later season. So when they Milverton Magnuson when they so when they shot Magnuson and killed him, I was just like, oh my god! I and of course I was kind of in fallout and shock from the whole thing and like was like invested in that them separating, but I hadn't even really thought about you know the fact of another villain coming in because there's a lot of villains in Sherlock, but Moriarty is the big one, and so. I started screaming and I was freaking out. And so like afterwards, like I was shaking. Like I was I was shaking because I was so excited and it was such a twist and I didn't see it. And I I remember tweeting, I can't remember the last time a television show made me like 
shit. That ending is what really saved the episode for me because I was so like emotionally drained at the end, like watching Sherlock murder someone and he was being separated from John. And I was like, this is the biggest downer of this show. Like, I can't believe they're going to end this season on such a low note. And then we get Moriarty and like Sherlock comes back and I was just like, oh my god. Yeah, I mean, the, the ending, it, I mean, from the time you think that Holmes is going away to the time it's like, oh, shit, we need you again. It's like, of course that was going to happen. But it's like, did they, they just, it does, it happens so fast. It's like, uh, you couldn't have dragged it out a little bit, made us wait a little bit. And then the thing with Moriarty coming back, it's like, did they really need to tease it? Because technically he was really only not in two episodes, you know? He like, was, though, because he, and that's when I started thinking about it. He is in the empty hearse because he's in all those flashback scenes. And like, that's well, what I mean. Yeah, he was he was in that one. But then the then, next one, it's like he really wasn't gone that long. And we see him in Sherlock's Mind Palace in this episode. Yeah, it's like. Which it's was not... so creepy, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's dead. Yeah, he does a great job of playing that character. He's eh, slimy. I kind of agree, but at the same time, I was in such a downer mode after everything. I was so happy to have that right, like right away. Like if they would have ended it with Sherlock leaving, and then through the Moriarty teaser, say like in a webisode, like a few, like a few weeks or even months later, I would really hate that ending of this series. <laughs> okay, I just uh, I'm just going along for the ride for the most part. I, I no, no, you I, tell your opinion. Go I just. Ahead. It just it wraps up so fast after such a emotional ending where it's all right Sherlock's leaving but oh but now he's coming back yay it's like they can't it's like they don't want to let us wait just a little bit you know so well I mean after two years I really don't feel like waiting <laughs> <laughs> that's true because it, it wasn't even like three whole weeks it was like two and a half weeks it premiered on New Year's Day which was a Wednesday then we got episode two on a Sunday and then we got the, uh, season three, the last episode, the Sunday after. So it was only like 10 days of Sherlock, and now we have to wait again. Yeah, I mean, I and as a tease, I you know, it's great. That's that's how you get people to be like, oh, shit, Sherlock season four, can't wait. I, I understand that. It's just, I, you know, it's did you really have to let us know he was coming back? Because obviously he was going to come back. I totally bought into the writers, and I should never buy into Moffat. He's been known to lie, and Moffat like will purposely have actors shoot fake scenes with yeah, well, paparazzi. So like, I should have known that. Writing is the business of lying. He really is. He does it all the time for Doctor Who. Good, <laughs> you know, keep us guessing. Yeah. And the only thing I have to wonder now is where we had Sherlock. You know, the big deductions of Sherlock surviving the fall. How did Moriarty survive shooting himself in the head? All right. If if they don't tell us exactly how Sherlock came back, they have to tell us how Moriarty made it's still alive. You can't have two resurrections and not give a plausible explanation for at least one of them. I will totally agree with you on that one. And That's... I kind of have to wonder how much Molly might be involved. Those like like Moriarty is actually Molly like Molly is actually part of Moriarty's web because she's the coroner. Like, wouldn't she know if someone was not actually dead? That's a twist I don't think it needs to take. I, I don't see that happening. Though Molly is the character they can play with the most. Because she is not in the original canon. She is only in BBC Sherlock. They created her just for this show. She is like a character they can play with. And they can actually turn into anyone from the original canon. That's true. She could be Moran for all we know. <laughs> hey, you know, there you go. Get it out there. Get it on the fandom. Mary's a sharpshooter, Molly's a sharpshooter, and John's just going to be like, Greg, are you a sharpshooter? And he's just like, no, I'm just really good at drinking. 
There you go. Like apparently all the women in the show are sharpshooters. So any last things about the his last vow? Like I said, not my favorite, but uh, I mean, it definitely got me, you know, pumped to see what they've got in store next. Because, you know, there's, I'm sure there's plenty of stories left that they can use as a basis for more entertaining episodes. Yeah, there's like a hundred original canon Sherlock Holmes stories. Oh, okay. Yeah, they have plenty of time. I mean, maybe not. Maybe it's closer to like 50, but there's like two full novels and then like a plethora of short stories. In my editions, I have editions that are part one and part two, and each edition is like 800 pages. Oh, jeez. Yeah, that's how much there is. A few honorable mentions that we kind of didn't get brought up too much in our original notes. I I just wanted to mention Molly's character development from season one to this ep- to the very last episode. Okay. I I always like Molly and to see her grow as a character from this like kind of like, timid little mousy girl to like having no problem slapping Sherlock across the face, saying like, "How dare you do that to your friends?" Like, yeah. and having no problem looking at Sherlock, going, "We have lots of sex." I mean, she yeah. really has grown some balls and has grown as a character over three seasons, and it's really refreshing to see this side of her. I would agree. She's a she's a fun character. I hope she. I personally wouldn't want to see her end up being a baddie. <laughs> I I don't want to see her being a baddie too, but I do like to indulge in that crack side of the fandom. All right. I see that you missed the woman though. We we did get the woman. Um, oh yeah, for a too. for a hot second. A very hot second. A hot naked second. Was she? I don't remember. You'd think well, I you only see her from like her collarbone up, but there's nothing on her collarbone up, so... Ooh, saucy. <laughs> Those collarbones. Yeah, she was a fun character when they introduced her. It's, you know, bring bring her back next year. Let's see what happens, you know? They'll have another adventure with the boys. I honestly don't think, don't think she, she's going to be coming back, though. I mean, yeah, I guess they kind of... Well, she's only in one story, and then she's, like, never mentioned again. Yeah, well, do you think that's going to stop Gaddis and Moffat from... That is very true. (laughs) They might bring her back, because I was not expecting her to see her in Sherlock's Mind Palace. And it's kind of interesting when it comes to Irene Adler, because Irene in the the story is, like, always the woman who beat Sherlock, and she's always, like, talked about as the woman. I actually think he might mention her a couple other times, I take that back. But she's always mentioned as the woman, and, like, the woman who always beat him. With BBC Sherlock, beat him has more puns than just one. Uh, <laughs> and he always, she always had that influence on him. So I do think it's interesting that she still is residing in his mind palace. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't she? She definitely left a mark on him. In more ways than one. Dun, dun. Da, da, da. That was a that was a, that was a me joke. I was going more of the fact that she was like a mistress with a yeah. writing prop, leaving marks on him. That's what I beat. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. Beat his ass. Yeah, it was hot. Yeah, she's a uh, yeah. I enjoyed her character. <laughs> no, I'm dead. Like, no, I mean, she face-wise, she does nothing for me, so. I'm trying to make this awkward, and you're trying to save this. Yeah, well, I, I don't, yeah, I could have come out a bit awkward the whole time, but. I went at it awkwardly. You did good. You're trying to save my own show. I appreciate it. Oh, well, you're welcome. Usually, I just ruin whatever show I'm on, so. I do have to wonder about Molly's boyfriend, Tom, though. I honestly had, was waiting for something from him. I never thought anything of him. I was just like, oh, it's the boyfriend. And then, oh, it turned into a joke, just like all the other men in her life. Well, see, like, the thing that, like, like signaled me off of is, like, when Sherlock meets Mary, he deduces her right away. But when he meets Tom, there are no deductions. Like, he just looks at him, and you see nothing. 
So I thought they were setting up a bad guy because it was like Irene, like he couldn't read Irene Adler at all. Like he, he couldn't and he couldn't read Tom. So I thought they were setting him up to be like some evil bad guy. And then by episode three, Molly's like, yeah, we broke up. Yeah, because he's just nothing. He's a nothing. That's why he couldn't read him. There's nothing there to read. He was just a boring guy. See, I just hated that because she dated Moriarty. And when they throw something at Sherlock not being able to introduce the person, that's a major thing to me because the only other person who did that is with Irene. And I, I just felt like there should have been something more than that. But I actually had a kind of idea that he might have been Magnuson. And like Magnuson we saw in episode one and his little like vault thing. Yeah. That was to throw us off, and he was the real Magnuson. But see, then... I just I don't know enough to like even begin to start speculating. Like well, see, that. that's that's not me knowing canon either. That was me just going, okay, Sherlock's not deducing this person. There has to be something more to him because he's he he always deduces people. But why can't he not read Tom? Because he can read boring people all the time. He this might the... be nothing there to read. It's Molly's boyfriend, and they have a lot of sex. Apparently, he knows everything he needs to know about him. I, I don't know. I just. I feel like there's something there. I wouldn't be so like maybe I maybe Tom has something to do with Moriarty. I don't know. I can't even venture a guess. Because I mean Molly did date Moriarty, so Tom is now dating Molly or was dating Molly, so maybe Moriarty set them up. <laughs> Moriarty matchmaker. Hmm, that's a that's a TV show that BBC should do. Oh my god, that'd be the best TV show ever. It'd be like, hi, I'm Moriarty. Today we have our new guest. Welcome, Miss Serial Killer. Hi guys, I'm looking for a lover. All right, behind these three doors is one of your new lovers. We have this crazy ass <laughs> clown man. We have the mass murderer, and we also have John. And John Watson's just like, why was I kidnapped here? She's <laughs> like, I choose John. I don't like clowns. They're crazy and bad. I don't like rubber chickens. And the mass murderer, he's just trying to steal my job because I'm a serial killer. And John's just like, oh, God, Sherlock. <laughs> I'm going to shut up now. No, keep going, girl. okay anyway yes bbc i need the show yeah yeah let me write let me write it for you yeah yeah totally uh did you have anything else you want to throw in about mike ralph or do you feel like we covered him Uh, yeah i think i said what i needed to say about him yeah me too now janine i you said a means to an end what do you mean by that that was the one that uh sherlock got with to get inside of uh agnison's building right yeah yeah means to an end Though my friend brought up a really valid point because I think Sherlock said that they hadn't slept together yet and she agreed to get engaged to him like after a few months. So and my friend being the guy he is was flat out just like, you would not not sleep with a guy and then get engaged to him. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, depends. Yeah, but, depends, like, depends on how traditional you are. And that, that was my argument, too. But, like, they hadn't even lived together. And my my friend, who was his girlfriend, brought up another valid point, which was the fact that it's probably known how much money Sherlock Holmes has, and Janine was probably being a bit of a gold digger. That's also very possible. There are a lot of women out there like that. Yeah, I totally agree. But at the same time, I really did like her character. I thought she balanced Sherlock very well. No, she was a fun character, but I, I knew something was up. When you saw him smiling around her, I was like, come on, you're not fooling anybody. Yeah, I will say he kind of fooled me, because I was just like, this is actually really nice. He's opening up to somebody, and I took it as like being in that 
his world expanding through John, including Mary, which now includes Janine because she's Mary's friend and he is trying to open up his world to other people. That's how I took it. So he, it did fool me. But at the same time, I there is a canon story where Sherlock does date a girl and get engaged to her just to dump her for a case. So I, I kind of knew that was coming in episode three. All right, I didn't even need to know the canon to know that. <laughs> All right. In, in the second episode, though, I did really take it as in trying to open up for John and Mary to accept these kind of new things. Yeah, they can also be seen that way, too. My very last point is Lestrade. I love Lestrade. He's the silver fox. He's a good-looking man. He's a good-looking man. Anderson Cooper's the silver fox of America. Rupert Graves is the silver fox of Britain. I absolutely love Lestrade. I could... I just wanted more of him. Like, I really enjoy seeing him with them in Baskerville. I, I was hoping for more interaction because I actually get more of a father-son vibe out of him and Sherlock. Interesting. I not, I wouldn't have made that connection. Yeah, he's kind of always looking out for him. I, I, and I've always kind of interpreted that way. Like, you know, when they're talking about nicotine patches and he's one of the people that Sherlock would die for. Like, I feel like he's closer to Lestrade than he is to his own parents. But I, I also think he has more in common with Lestrade than his own parents. Probably. And the Maestrad shippers are always fun. Oh, God. They got their eight seconds. <laughs> the, oh, the, before this season, the only time Mycroft and Lestrade were ever on the screen together is the very, very, very first episode when Mycroft is like, and then he walks away, Sherlock Holmes and John Watson, and like he's watching them walk away at the end of the first episode. Lestrade's very tiny, all <sighs> in the very back of the scene, like all the way back there. That was the only time they were ever on screen together. And they kind of mentioned each other, like when Lestrade showed up in Baskerville and, and Sherlock was like, oh, this is all Mycroft, he told you to come. They had never really been on screen, so like in the third episode, in his last vow, when Mycroft and Lestrade were in a scene together, people were just like, <laughs> it's canon! <laughs> all right. My Shrod shippers are fun because they really have nothing to build it on. But, I mean, I just, I really love his character. But I also just love Rupert Graves. <laughs> I definitely enjoy seeing him. Again, he's, you know, he's part of the reason why that ensemble works so well. But mm -hmm. you can't have too much of him because it's not, the show's not called Lestrade. It is called Sherlock. I know. I was actually, what, I am a bit bummed, though, because one of my theories fell through that, and it didn't happen this season. I was really hoping for it. Hey, what are you going to do? You got to take what you're given and bitch about it online. Well, I it was a very probable one because in the Reichenbach Fall episode, it's revealed that, you know, Lestrade's been giving private cases to Sherlock, and that's, like, a really big thing. So I was expecting him to be either demoted, and he's, like, just some cop, and he he lost his position, and he, so he can't help Sherlock and John as much because he got demoted for doing this terrible thing. And he is perfectly okay. We see, like, you know, in the very first episode, he still has his title. He's perfectly cool, <laughs> so... Yeah, they don't really allow too too much to change on the show, do they? It, yeah. You know, it's still relatively safe TV in terms of, you know, you know none of your favorite characters are going anywhere. It could still happen, but I really doubt it. it's not going to happen really at this point. Though I have to feel bad for him. I think him and Molly need to get together. Oh, jeez. Dude, she, in the wedding scene, look at her. She's sitting closer to Lestrade than she is to Tom. She... This is stuff I just don't even realize. Yeah, in the Scandal episode when they're having Christmas parties, like, he's gawking at her in the background when she takes off her coat and wearing that dress. Like, he's just, like, staring at her, and he takes a long drink staring at her. Okay. If you follow his thing, he talks about how he got back together with his wife, and, and Sherlock goes, no, she's sleeping with the gym teacher. And then Baskerville, 
he's not wearing his wedding ring and there's like a little suntan white spot from where oh, he's okay. So like he's definitely single now and I just want him with Molly. You know, it might happen. It I could want happen. It to happen. Get on the get on the phone to Britain. I know. Mark Gatiss and Stephen Moffat, you need to come with me write for you. <laughs> like that would ever happen. Yeah, well I'd rather be writing too, but Actually, I'd rather write for Doctor Who, to be honest. But That's a show I would watch. I have an episode that I would love to write one day. Like That's one of my dream goals, is to write an episode of Doctor Who. Nice. I don't want to be like the showrunner or anything. I just want to write a single episode, and I'll so, be... like That's a goal of life. Hey, say your prayers, take your vitamins, do your training. It, it, it could happen. And then you'd, have all, then you'd have all of us going, yay! I'll remember you little people, and then I'll have you guys all on my podcast. Yes! It'll be a special episode of Who True Freaks. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's all I have on Sherlock. Do you have anything to talk to finish up and wrap up the season? Any last minute things? I enjoyed the season overall. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to see where it goes from here because I don't know where it's going from here. I, I completely agree. I really enjoyed the season overall where Sign of Three probably became my new favorite episode. I will say season two is probably still my favorite season. Yes, definitely. But I, I really enjoyed Sign of Three. Empty Hearts was a good start. I still have trouble watching his last battle. Same here. All right. Well, Chris, where can people find you? I do the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror with Chris Honeywell, Luke Giaconetti, and Joe Anthrax, Sean Angle. And I also just started doing a show with Two True Freaks friend Dave Atterbury called Nerds on Film, where we put on a movie and we talk about it during the entire running time. And then we release it to you people and you can talk to us about it. And I am all over Facebook. Just look for me um, on the Two True Freaks group. And if you want to add me as a friend, go ahead. And it's uh, just Chris Tyler. And there you go. That's about it. And while we're talking about, like, where to find each other and stuff like that, I actually got a message the other day from one of our fellow Two True Freaks co-hosts, Alan, and our other buddy, Jason Ritter. They're actually starting a Sherlock Holmes podcast with Two True Freaks very soon. Oh, nice. So they were talking to me about that. So that's something to look out for. If And all your shows are on the Two True Freaks network, right? Yes, they are. It's my home. It's my home. I can't leave it. They won't it's let all me out. And so that's something to look out for is we're having a new Sherlock show talk, uh, coming up soon. And they, we've actually already talked and they said they would like to have me on a guest. So you can see me there. I plan on coming up and doing a Welcome to Night Vale episode special in this coming month during February. Because on March 7th, they're, Welcome to Night Vale is doing a live show in Atlanta. And I'm, I have my tickets. I'm totally going. I don't even care what work says. They can fire me. I'm going to this damn show. <laughs> uh, they... I already got permission. They can't say anything. You can find me if you're heading out that way, too. You can always find me on Twitter. I'm at Hope Mollat. I'm currently building a website right now, so I will be releasing information on that very soon. And I'm very excited about that. And it's going to have all my personal, well, all, all my blogs, like, covering how I feel about comics and movies and stuff like that. So be on the lookout for that. I'll be posting announcements soon. Uh, Twitter at Hope Molinax, Tumblr at Geeky Girl Experience, or at Once Upon an Obsession. And, yeah, I don't think I have anything else. Do you? I just want to say thank you very much for having me on. It was a pleasure to, to join you and talk about Sherlock. And if you ever find any uh, horror movies that you want to talk about, uh, let me know, and we'd love to have you on the show. I can't. <laughs> oh, you're one of those I girls. I for horror movies. All right. I know. I, I, I will actually, I take that back. I will do Shaun of the Dead with you. When we get to it, I will definitely, definitely, definitely call you up. Because the Three Cornetto trilogy is awesome, and it still hurts my soul that I have not seen World's End. I haven't seen it yet, either. 
Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and World's End are like three movies that are like just I love, and Shaun of the Dead is one of my favorite movies of all time. So I will watch Shaun of the Dead with you. All right. I'm a big list for horror movies. <laughs> That's okay. You're a girl. You know, well, no, God, I have so many girlfriends that are just like, yeah, blood, guts, and gore. Watch them get their dicks and heads chopped off. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. I don't even watch that stuff. Ooh, that sounds terrible. I know. Like, I have a lot of girlfriends who love horror movies, and I just, I can't. Like, I can't. I, I've been trying to get myself psyched up for Walking Dead, and I'm still <laughs> not there yet. Like, I want to watch Walking Dead so bad. Like, so, so bad. And I just, I can't. <laughs> I, I'm just trying to get there, and... I have to watch it during the day with a person, probably. <laughs> Same thing with American Horror Story. That's another one I just really want to watch because I love Zachary Quinto and I. Uh, watched. I watched. The, just watched the first season, and it's amazing. That's what I hear, and I can't believe it's the same writers that write Glee. I'm still trying to wrap my head about that one. I didn't even know that. I don't know if I can ever watch it again now. Yeah, just wait. Pro- just imagine like all the spoofs of all of them singing. But like, I will try. I will try, and if I find a horror movie that I can actually do, I'll let you know. Well, see, the thing is, you only have to watch it once, and then you can just come on the show and talk about it. So it's not like we're going to make you watch it again. You know the whole time I'd just be like, (laughs) Well, you know, a little estrogen perspective wouldn't hurt. (laughs) Here's a tolerance level. You know the new remake version of Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Yeah, it sucked. I never saw the original, and so I went with a boyfriend to see that movie. I spent the entire movie with my, like, sitting in his lap, and he's holding me, and I wish I was kidding, but it's so sad that I'm not kidding. But I sat in his lap and, like, hid my face in his neck the entire time. I'm sure he appreciated that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he did, too. But I was, like, I kept squealing and screaming, and I didn't have a voice at the end. Like, that's that's my tolerance of horror movies. All right. And, but I'm very well aware that the remake sucked, so if that sucked and that was my reaction to it, I can't. I probably can't even tolerate the original. Well, there really is no gore in the original. That's true. I can't do gore. That's one thing I can't do. Okay, fair enough. But I, I have seen the original Nightmare on Elm Street and loved it. Really? See, that's yeah. one of my favorite series of horror movies. So. so I could do that one with you. All right, when we get around to that, I will definitely be giving you a call. Let me just give me a heads up because I haven't seen it. Oh, it's going to be quite a while. Yeah, I haven't seen it in several years, so I would probably, and I've only seen it once, so I would probably have right. to go back and rewatch it. Fair enough. All right, well, thank you so much, Chris, for joining thank me you. today. Thank you. All right, guys, uh, take a look out for us both on Who True Freaks. You'll give us a listen over there. And thank you for listening to Hope All Trades. Have a great night. Bye, everybody.